Well, since I've been here, I have preached through several books of the Bible, Philippians and Colossians and Mark and several others, and I am going to start a project today, Lord willing, that I will be able to get through sometime before Jesus comes back. I'm going to start through the Gospel of John, and uh, John is that wonderful gospel that is so simple that children love it. And as a matter of fact, uh, the first verse that most children memorize is out of the Gospel of John, John 3.16. But it is so deep that scholars and theologians have never, never plumbed the depths of it. It's kind of like a swimming pool that on one end it has a kiddie pool and on the other end it has the Mariana Trench. It's just absolutely so deep you can't find the bottom of it, but oh, it's shallow enough to splash around in and enjoy. So that's the Gospel of John. And uh, who wrote the Gospel of John? I'll give you a hint. Starts with a J, sounds like on. Got it? It was John. That's right. But, but there's so many Johns in the Bible. We got lots of Johns here in our church. But, uh, but there was uh, John the Baptist and there was other Johns. But the John that wrote this was the disciple of Jesus. His brother was James. His father was Zebedee. His mother was named Salome. And many people believe, many scholars and Bible students believe that his mother was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. That would mean that Jesus and James and John could very well have been first cousins. There's no absolute proof of that, but there are many, many Bible st- uh, uh, teachers, Bible students, and scholars who believe that they were related. Have you heard that, Brother John? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so they, uh, uh, they, they were close. And, by, and John was more than likely the youngest of all the disciples. As a matter of fact, he may have only been 15, 14 or 15, when, uh, when he was called to be one of the disciples. He and his brother James and their dad, Zebedee, were all fishing there in the Sea of Galilee and throwing their nets out, drawing them in, catching fish. And Jesus walked by and looked over at these two brothers and may have even been cousins and said, uh, follow me. And they, the Bible says immediately they laid down their nets and they followed Jesus, and they became his disciples. Now, James was the older of the two, and John was the younger, and like I said, may have only been 15 years old, could have even been younger than that, because uh, in, in Jewish, the Jewish world, when you turned 13, you were considered a man. And they had no such thing as teenagers. Do you know what the Bible says about teenagers? Nothing. Because they didn't have teenagers in the biblical world. You say, well, what happened when a kid was 13, 14? He was a full-grown man. The apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. But when I became a man, then I 
everything changed. And he was talking about what's called the bar mitzvah, where you become the son of the commandment, the son of the covenant. And so today, you know, it's not even part of my sermon, but I just got to say it. Uh, One problem today is that we have this section in young people's lives that shouldn't even exist. They say, I'm not a kid anymore. Don't treat me like a kid. But then they say, but don't give me responsibilities like an adult. I'm not old enough to be responsible, but I'm too old to be treated like a a kid. Well, they didn't have that problem in biblical days. In biblical days, every kid knew when he became 13, he was now had adult responsibilities. And uh, you wouldn't find a kid back in that day sitting around playing on their iPad. Of course, they didn't have iPads back then, but you wouldn't even find one sitting around playing on anything because they went to work as adults. So you young guys, Connor's already doing that, aren't you? Connor's already here. How old are you, Connor? I'm 18 now. 18 now? But you've been working since you were 15. 15? So he, he understands that when you get to be a certain age, you work like an adult. You're not a kid anymore. And I appreciate that about Connor. I really do. That's one thing my wife and I talk about you every once in a while. And it's always good. We say we admire a young man that works hard and takes his responsibility seriously. And so uh, when John was just maybe 14 or 15, Jesus called him, said, come follow me. And he did. He followed Jesus. Now, He and his brother James were noted for their hot temper. They were not easygoing guys. They were were kind of uh, uh, vindictive. In fact, they were one place Jesus went and preached and nobody welcomed him. And when they left that city, John and his brother James said, Jesus, we don't like the way they treated you there. Why don't you call down fire from heaven and just toast them, burn them all up? I'm sure Jesus rolled his eyes. He probably rolled his eyes a lot with James and John. And he said, now, guys, you know, I didn't come to toast people. I came to save people. I came to teach the truth, not to burn people up. And so they, and then on another occasion, uh, they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can we be vice kings? Can, can one of us sit on the right-hand side, the other on the left-hand side, and everybody recognize us as the second and third in command? And again, Jesus must have rolled his eyes. And he said, you don't even know what you're asking. He said, are are you able to drink the cup I'm going to drink? They said, yeah, yeah, we can do it. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? They didn't know what that meant, of course. 
But they said, yeah, sure, whatever that means, we can do it. And he said, well, you will do it. You will pay the price. But he said, it's not my place to give you right hand and left hand privilege. You're so don't even. And by the way, come to find out, it was their mother that put them up to that. Salome might have been Mary's sister. I don't know. Said uh, said, boys, why don't you ask for special prayer? In fact, she asked Jesus even for special permission for her sons. So uh, so they were they were hot tempered. They were called sons of thunder. That's not a very encouraging name, is it? Sons of Thunder, because it seems like everywhere they went, lightning and thunder seemed to follow. So they were hot-tempered boys. And John, by the way, John never identifies himself in the book as the author. He has a special name for himself. He is called the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, it may be that if, G, if John really was only 14 or 15 years old, Jesus, remember, was 30. Uh, he was almost old enough to be their father. And it may be that he and John had a very special, close relationship because John left his father and mother to follow Jesus and Jesus may have taken John in as kind of like, I'll, I'll be like your dad. You're going to be like my son. And he, he had a special love for John. I don't know. I, that'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it, to be thought of as the disciple that Jesus loved. Obviously, Jesus loved all of his disciples, didn't he? But, but it seemed like there was a, a special, protective, fatherly love that he had John and John learned from Jesus the importance of loving and Jesus corrected him and Jesus instructed him and Jesus helped him understand the importance of love and John was one of the ones that Jesus washed his feet the night that Jesus was betrayed and John must have thought "I, I can't believe here I am just By this time, he was maybe 18 years old. And here's Jesus, 33 years old, down on his knees, washing my feet. And then Jesus said to John and the other disciples, now there's just one commandment that I have for you. Moses gave you 613 commandments. But I'm just giving you one commandment. You love one another the way that I love you. That's all I'm asking. You just love one another the way I love you. He said that right after he got up from washing their feet. And John, something must have clicked. Because when you read the Gospel of John, by the way, John wrote some other books in the Bible, didn't he? He wrote three little letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he wrote the marvelous last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Wrote that when he was an old man exiled on the island of Patmos. He was the only disciple still alive 
All the other disciples had been killed for their faith in Jesus. And John himself had been exiled, put out on this island as a prisoner. And while he was there, Jesus reveals to him marvelous truths about the present and the future. So John wrote five of the books in our Bible, in our New Testament. And in those books, he uses the word love 80 times. Isn't that something? 80 times. And he uses the word truth 45 times because he loved the truth. But there's one other word that he used more than any other word. It's the word believe. Believe. And the reason that he wrote this book, this gospel of John, was so that people would believe. Listen to what he says in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we don't have to wonder why he wrote this book, do we? He said, I have written this book for one particular reason. I've written this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So it's a great evangelistic book. But you would make a serious mistake if you believed that the gospel of John was written mainly to evangelize the lost. It has that as a purpose. But who else needs to believe the gospel? You and me. We need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, <clears throat> in order to live the Christian life. In order that we might have that life in us, not just to be saved, but to live the life of Jesus that Jesus gives in our daily life. So the gospel of John is for every believer. It's not just for lost people so they can believe. It's for Christians so we will continue to believe and practice that belief. The Gospel of John is built, it's different than the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of tell the, the human side of the, of the life of Jesus. They tell about his birth, they tell about his baptism, they tell about his uh, temptations in the wilderness, they tell about his many, many miracles, they tell about his, his parables. John is totally different. Those first three Gospels, they're called the synoptic Gospel, the, the synoptic, the, to see together. It's like the three of them were looking at the life of Jesus from, from
from three different perspectives, but they were all telling the same story. Matthew tells the story about Jesus as the king of Israel. Mark tells the story about Jesus as the servant of the Lord and the servant of people. And Jesus said, I've come in the gospel of Mark. He said, I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve, to give my life a ransom for many. Luke tells the story of Jesus as the, the human Jesus. He, he really gives us a better feel for the fact that Jesus is the, 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 a, a human. And, and then those three Gospels, they focus on the life of Jesus from the earthly perspective. John looks at the life of Jesus from the heavenly perspective. Did you know that 90% of the Gospel of John is unique to John. In other words, you don't find it anywhere else. 90% of the Gospel of John is not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's only in the Gospel of John. Now, there's almost all of Mark is in Matthew. And much of Matthew and Mark are in Luke. But in John... Almost all of John's gospel is unique to John. Is that interesting to you? Somebody, I look like I kind of lost some of you there. Just kind of like, well, who cares? You know, well, I don't guess it is that important, but it's just, just, I just want you to know when John writes his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he has this specific purpose in mind. He's looking at Jesus as the Son of God. He's focusing on the deity, the divineness, the godness of Jesus. Luke is focusing on the, the manness, the humanness of Jesus. Doesn't deny the deity at all. And John doesn't deny the humanity. But Luke focuses on the humanness. John focuses on the godness of Jesus. The book is built around... Seven miracles. How many miracles did Jesus do? Well, he did so many. John said, if we were to write them all down, the, the, the whole world couldn't hold them. I mean, he just was, he performed lots of miracles. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us about dozens and dozens of miracles, healings and things like that. But John only mentions seven you're going to find the number seven is really important to John. Not only in the Gospel of John, but also in the book of Revelation. Seven trumpets, seven uh, uh, bowls of wrath, seven seals, seven mystic characters. John seems pretty hung up on the number seven because that's the divine number. And... Uh, but John only talks about seven miracles of Jesus. Just seven. It's amazing, isn't it? Out of all the miracles. And John doesn't even call them miracles. He calls them signs. It's a, it's a word like billboards or signposts. It's signs that are announcing something. And he says there's seven of them. And we'll be looking at those in the course of the 
uh, the study here. He says there's seven signs, seven miracles. We, we would call them miracles, but he calls them signs. And uh, I'll just mention them to you. Uh, the first sign was changing water into wine. Seven huge pots of water at a wedding feast. And Jesus turned those seven pots full of water into the best wine that anybody had ever tasted. And then in John chapter 4, the healing of a, a royal official's son. I'm looking forward to when we get to that. There's some amazing things in that story where Jesus healed this nobleman's son. And then the healing of a paralytic by the pool of Bethesda. And that's in John chapter 5. And then in John chapter 4, and this is included in all the other gospels, the feeding of 5,000 people. 5,000 men and their families with just a few fish and loaves. And then in John chapter 6, Jesus walks on water, coming to his disciples in the night. And then John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was born blind. He had never seen anything in his whole life. He had had been blind from the day of his birth. And there were several blind people that Jesus healed who had gone blind, but this man was born blind, just like you and I are born blind, spiritually. And Jesus healed this man that was born blind. And then the seventh sign was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Here's Lazarus, this dear friend of Jesus, had been dead for four days. And Jesus comes and calls him by name, calls him out of the grave, and Lazarus comes forth. My wife and I had the privilege to go into Lazarus's tomb when we were in Israel many years ago. And it's, uh, there's steps that go down into it. And I got down in that, and I thought, I'm pretending I'm Lazarus. And I'm all wrapped up. And I've got, I can't even see. I've got a napkin over my face, and like a mummy, I'm all wrapped up. And I'm down here, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And I, how am I going to do that? And I inched over to the steps. I started hopping up those steps. And I thought, that's how Lazarus had to do it. Because when Jesus, when he got out, Jesus said, now unwrap him. Let him go. He was still wrapped up when he came out. And I just kind of had fun hopping up those steps. That has nothing to do with anything. But, uh, but it was, uh, it, 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 that's one of the, that's the last of the signs. Seven signs. And then John tells about seven I am's. 
The, the Greek word, I am, ego ami, ego ami, is the same, it would be the, the equivalent of the Old Testament word, Yahweh. It was the name for God. It was God's official name. When Moses said, well, God, you're telling me to go down and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. Uh, who, who am I going to say sent me? And God said, tell him, I am Yahweh sent you. You bring that over into the Greek, and it's not Yahweh, it's ego ami. I am the divine name of God. And Jesus used that phrase. Oh, in fact, when the, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they say, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, it was nighttime, and they had torches. They didn't recognize him. And Jesus said, ego a me. I am. <laughs> and when he said that, you know what happened? The soldiers fell down on the ground. It just knocked them down. That divine name. And John makes much of that name. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, truth, and life. And I am the true vine. We'll be looking at all those sometime in 2028 20, or 29, something like that, when I get to it finally. But uh, seven signs seven I am's all of them designed for one purpose so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah the anointed one the son of God and that by believing you might have life through his name. That's his purpose. Now, let's just go back to the very first few verses of the Gospel of John. I see I really I have spent way too much time on the introduction. So let's just... In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. That's pretty cryptic, isn't it? That's kind of strange. And by the way, in case you wonder who the Word is and what he's talking about here, if you go down to verse 14, it actually tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So there's no doubt he's talking here about Jesus. And he said, Jesus is the eternal word of God. 
who existed from the very beginning, before what we think of as the beginning. In the beginning was Jesus, the Son of God, who says, I'm telling you this so you'll believe he's the Son of God. And he was with God, so that means face to face. He was separate from the Father, and yet he was God. Now, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, is a mystery to many people. It's not a mystery to us, though, is it? There's always been one divine being. Always one. There's the Lord our God is one. And yet, within that one being... There are three distinct persons. God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they all have the same mind. Whatever the Father thinks, the Son thinks, and the Spirit thinks. They, they share the same mind. They have the same feelings. And they have the same will. Whatever the Father chooses, the Son chooses. The Spirit chooses. Hey, now, you and I, we are one person with a mind, emotions, and a will. And we're the only one that has that. But wouldn't it be something if I could have another me, but shared the same mind, emotion, and will. And even a, a third me. But we all functioned differently, fulfilled different roles, and yet we all shared identically the same mind, emotion, and will. Now, it's confusing to us sometimes, isn't it? I've had people say, well, it makes my head hurt when I try to think of that. I say, well, don't try to think of it with your head. Think of it with your heart. It makes your heart feel good, even if it makes your head hurt. But here's the fact. The Bible clearly teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. You say, well, the word Trinity is not found anywhere in the Bible. No, neither is the word Grandpa. But there's a bunch of grandpas in the Bible. And I'm one too. So I believe in grandpas even though the Bible doesn't mention grandpas. The Bible doesn't mention Trinity, but it does mention the work of God the Father. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he create it? With the Word. And God said, that's the Word. And everything was created through the Word. In fact, that's what it says. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it.
Boy, what a wonderful introduction to this glorious book. Why does he use the word, word? Well, it was an important word to the Jews. I mean, hundreds of times in the Old Testament, he'll say, and the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word, the, the self-revelation of God to man. It was an important word to the Greeks. The Greek word logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. And it's, that's, the, that's the Greek word that's translated word. But it has the idea of the, the, the power, the mind. We get the word logic from it. it. It's the purpose, the divine purposive will of God. That's the logos. Now, the Greek philosophers talked about the Logos. They said there has to be something that holds everything together. I mean, we look at this world. So it's an orderly world. It all rotates. It all does this. And, that. and there has to be something that holds it all together that keeps it from being chaos. And they call that force or that power, that they called it the Logos, the Word. But they had no idea who the Word was until John comes along and he says to his Greek listeners, yes, there was a Logos in the beginning. That Logos was with God. And in fact, that Logos was God. And he is the one who made everything. And as Paul tells us later, he is the one who holds everything together. The very word cosmos, you hear the cosmos, you think of the world, but, but the word cosmos means order, orderly. We get the word cosmetic from it. Ladies put on their cosmetics to make their face orderly yeah hey we get the word cosmetic from it we're thankful for cosmetics aren't we yeah somebody said i don't believe women should wear makeup well i do i think it's mighty fine for women to wear makeup that's good and uh Somebody says nothing wrong with painting the barn. Uh, and I'm not, I don't take that wrong. But uh, some of us men could stand a little bit too, couldn't we? Yeah. But that, that's where we get the word cosmetic is from that, that word cosmos. To order things, to make it look right and attractive. And Without cosmos, you know what you have? Chaos. In fact, what's the guy's name? The, he's a famous atheist. Uh, he, who? Stephen? No, it was, it was the other one. 
But uh, he's a big science guy. Uh, Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan. That's what he wrote a book called Cosmos or Chaos. Cosmos or Chaos. And he said there has to be something keeping the world in order. It's a shame he didn't know who it was. As far as we know, he died still thinking that all this cosmos just happened. How sad. But in the beginning, there was the Lagos. The Lagos was with God, face to face with God. And the Lagos was God. And through him, everything was made that was made just by the word of God. And in him was light. He was light, the true light. And in him was life. You know what our sad world needs more than anything else? Our dark world needs light. And our dead world needs life. And both are found in the Logos. The living word of God that became flesh. Jesus is the true light. And he is the life. Which we'll see as we study through this wonderful book. I'm looking forward to it. And here's the takeaway today. What you think about Jesus is the most important thought you can have. If you're wrong about Jesus, it doesn't matter what you're right about. And if you're right about Jesus, that has a way of helping you be right about just about everything else. Who is Jesus? He is the divine energizing, creative logos that became flesh and lived here with us so that we could see the glory of God and worship Him. Do you know Him? That's the real question. Do you know Him? These things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus came to this world, the divine Logos of God, who was with you in the beginning, separate from you and yet one with you in every way. And he came to fulfill the divine design to die for sin, to redeem sinners, and to prepare a bride for himself in centuries to come. And I ask you, Father, to help us today to worship, to love, and to rejoice in the divine logos. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.